Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of When the Scriptures Become Real. Get a podcast where we learn, where we study, where we grow. We try to become the best versions of ourselves as we can as we continue to serve our Lord. Again, before we get into today's podcast, let's get into our shout outs for the day. If you're listening from Iowa, so if you're in the Council Bluff or the Dyersville area, we're so grateful that you're with us. Also from Massachusetts, so if you're from the Chestnut Hill or Charleston area, we're grateful that you found the podcast and you're and you're with the family here. And we're grateful um, that you can study together with us. And also from Delaware, um, specifically in Newark. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening and supporting um, and downloading. And we're just so thankful uh, that we can study together. And we're thankful that uh, even though we're all scattered, that we can all continue to study together. And we're so grateful for you. And again, I just want to I want to give a quick thank you um, before we go into our podcast for the day. We last week uh, we just hit over 10,000 downloads, which it's incredible. You know, just to think back on. I remember I started this podcast on my kitchen table with a $50 microphone from Best Buy and like a $10 camera, you know, and, and to see it grow after four years and uh, to see it develop and uh, to see not only Christians watching it, but, uh, you know, non-Christians listening and asking questions and, and wanting to know more. I mean, this is the goal. This is what we want to do. And, and for those that are podcasting and, and friends of mine that are podcasting, uh, my biggest advice to you is enjoy the process. You know, don't look at the numbers early. Don't try to, you know, hit all these milestones early, which is great to do that. And if you can, that's kudos to you. That's wonderful. Uh, but enjoy the process. Enjoy learning. You know, be consistent and study because you don't know who you're helping. You know, it's amazing to see the people that you can reach uh, when you study the Bible. So, again, I'm just so grateful for you guys. And um, I hope that we can continue to get bigger and better as we continue to grow and study. And I'm thankful uh, that we're all here together. All right. So let's get into today's podcast. So <clears throat> I was looking at Matthew chapter five today. And as I was looking through it, you know, I was looking at what, what could be a good podcast topic. And so as I was reading through, you know, I think one, one thing that we need to understand a little bit better and myself included is talking about being a peacemaker, right? Being a peacemaker from verse nine, right? Bless other peacemakers for they shall inherit or, or bless other peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. And so, I, you know, I was thinking about that and kind of meditating upon that word peacemaker. And I think our podcast topic today is going to be, can I be a peacemaker even when things are tough? Can I be a peacemaker even when things are tough? You know, the Lord, you know, according to, to Matthew chapter six here, the Lord has called us to be peacemaking people. Right. And, and that word peacemaking in the Greek means to means to pacify or means to make peaceful. And so, you know, this is such a beautiful attitude. And it's such a beautiful thing to do, but quite frankly, sometimes it's even harder to live. But why, why would you say that? Why would you say that being a peacemaker is somewhat hard to live out? Well, many believe that they can only be peacemakers only when the situation is peaceful. But the Lord has called us to be peacemakers in peaceful situations, but he's also called us to be peacemakers in hard situations too. And so as we study today, we're going to look at how we can be peacemakers in all situations that we find ourselves in so that we can be peaceable and so that others can see that through us. 
Okay. And so just quickly today, and I don't think this is going to be a, a long podcast today, but I just want to look at these two points here. Um, when we talk about being a peacemaker, I think number one, we can be peacemakers and we can be pacifiers in our homes. You know, there's, there's brethren again, and we mentioned this in our last podcast, there's brethren, there's people and there's friends and there's family. Um, and there's people that I know that I've come out of terrible homes, terrible homes. I mean, you, you can go through, you know, divorce, you can go through abuse, you can go through neglect. Even if you have a father and the mother in a home, you can go through neglect. You can go through uh, the mother not being as present, the father not being as present, you kind of raising yourself. I mean, there's there's a lot of things um, and there's a lot of different types of homes. Um, but when we talk about being a peacemaker, being a peacemaker doesn't um, is not dependent on the situation we're in. And so we want to look at this example. So how can we learn to be peacemakers even if we're in those home situations? All right. So let's look at this example. Look at first Samuel chapter 10. And again, if you're new to the podcast, this is what we do. We open up the Bible here so that you can go back and look for yourself and ask questions and study for yourself. Um, just because we want everything to come from the scripture here. So first Samuel chapter 10. And I want to look at verses 30 through 34. Now here, here in this text, what's happening here is there's, there's so much going on. So I want you to notice something. So I believe it's second Samuel. Let me make sure I got the right text here. Second Samuel chapter 10. I mean, first that, that makes more sense of why it doesn't make sense. Yes. So it is, no, it's, it's actually first Samuel chapter 20. I wrote down the wrong thing on my notes. It's first Samuel chapter 20, uh, verse number 30 through 34. Now here, here's our context here. Saul and Saul and, and Jonathan and David. So obviously Saul is after David, right? And he hates David for many different reasons, but David has done nothing but, you know, good to Saul. And so now we have Jonathan and we have David being best friends, but Jonathan's father, Saul hates David. So now Jonathan helps David. And after Jonathan helps David, now Saul and Jonathan and their family have a family dinner. And so Saul, Jonathan helped uh, David escape. And now Jonathan and Saul are at a family dinner. And so this is what happens here. So actually let's jump up to verse number 24. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon was come, the king sat down to meet. And the king sat on his seat as even times and sat by his seat by the wall. Jonathan arose, and then Abner by Saul's side, but David's spot was empty. Nevertheless, Saul spake not anything that day, for he thought something happened to him, something befallen him. He is not clean. Surely he's not clean. And it came to pass on the next day, and on the second day of the month, David's spot was empty again. And Saul said to Jonathan, Wherefore comest thou the son of Jesse to meet, not yesterday nor today? And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave so he could go back to Bethlehem. And he said, Let me go, for our family hath a sacrifice in the city, my brother. He's commanded me to be there. And if I found favor in thy eyes, let me get away, I pray thee, and see my brethren. Therefore he cometh unto the king's table. So again, so David's not there at the dinner table for two days. Now, Saul says, well, maybe he, something happened to him, which he would love that. But then he said, well, Jonathan, where's David? And Jonathan tells David, well, he, he went to Bethlehem to go sacrifice. 
And so now look what Saul says in verse 30. But Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said, thou son of a perverse woman, do not I know that you've chosen the son of Jesse to your own confusion and into the confusion of thy own nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father, and said, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. And so think about this. We're talking about being a peacemaker in our home. Think about Jonathan's situation for a second. You have his father, who is the king, and everyone, including his own sons, always reverence the king. But then you have David, who Saul has a problem with, but Jonathan loves David. So now Jonathan is stuck in the middle. Okay, so how do I be a peacemaker in this situation? So I don't want to pick sides here. But how do I be a peacemaker here? And so notice what Saul did to Jonathan. Saul yelled at him. Saul showed him no respect. I mean, Jonathan, this is a grown man. His father yelled at him. His father showed him no respect. His father disowned his inheritance. Look, if you look at verse number 31, he says, as long as he lives, you're not going to be king. And so he takes away his inheritance. And then finally, on top of that, then he threw a javelin at him. So the question becomes, in this situation today, so if we modernize this, and maybe this is your home, if we modernize this, and let's say your father yells at you, let's say your father doesn't show you the respect you feel like you deserve. Let's say your father disowns your inheritance. Let's say your father hopefully doesn't throw a javelin, but may do something else. So the question becomes, when this happens, how did Jonathan become a peacemaker? So oh, you know what Jonathan did? So because his father started it first and because his father instigated it, you know what? I'll go, I'll go just as hard as my father did. So you want to yell at me? I'll yell back at you. You want to show me no respect? I'll show you no respect. You want to disown my inheritance? I'll just take it. You want to fight? I'll fight you back. So is that how Jonathan became a peacemaker? See, the text never mentions that Jonathan ever, ever retaliated back at his father. Now, notice verse 34. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger. But notice he was angry. But did Jonathan sin? What does the scripture tell us to do? Be ye angry. So is it okay for a Christian to be angry? Yes. But what does the text also say? Be ye angry, but sin not. So Jonathan was angry here, but he still didn't sin. So he rose up in fierce anger, but he didn't eat meat the second day in the month. And he grieved for David because of what his father had done to his shame. You see, Jonathan was a peacemaker by his attitude. He continued in the toughest of situations. Jonathan continued not only to show David respect, but he continued to show his own father respect 
Remember in Exodus chapter 20, verse number 21, it mentions that you are we are to honor your father and your mother. And so notice, even though Saul did all that to Jonathan, what did Jonathan still do for his father? He honored him. You see, now this is this is where it becomes real. See, everybody wants to be a peacemaker when it's all good among everybody. But what happens when you're in this situation and Jesus still calls you to be a peacemaker? Now, how do you handle it? Now it's real. Now it's real. See, here's the thing, guys. As you study and as I've studied this, being a peacemaker, it's not about how other people treat you. Being a peacemaker being a peacemaker is about how you consistently treat others regardless of how they treat you. Think about Jesus. Did Jesus' attitude ever change with his disciples and with the Pharisees? See, his disciples loved him, so he loved his disciples. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees hated him, but he still kept the same attitude with them too. You see, Jesus wouldn't tell us to do something that he hadn't already done. Being a peacemaker is not about how other people treat you. Being a peacemaker is about how you treat them on a consistent basis, regardless of how they treat you. That's a hard thing to live out, guys. It's tough. Here's another example. Well, what you know, what are you talking about, Jordan? How can we really do this? Give me a practical example of this. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, and I want you to look at verse number 1. Now, as we talk about being a peacemaker, so we see that example of Jonathan and David. But now we have this example here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, this proves his point about being a peacemaker. Now, notice what Peter writes here. He says, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. That at any obey not the word. Okay, let's stop right there. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, so here's the situation. You have a young lady and she's married a, a young man. And let's say, let's say this young man um, wasn't necessarily a, a Christian or a church going guy, but what he did was smart. And I'm putting in quotations and it, it's the wrong kind of smart. But what he did was he always showed up to services. He always showed up to anything she wanted him to show up to. Next thing you know, uh, they get married and now they have a family. Now she continues her Christian walk, but now that he has her locked down in marriage, he doesn't go to services as much anymore. He's not really interested in what she wants to do as much anymore. And so now you have a, a situation and a family, and especially now if there's kids involved, now you've got a split family and you've got a split home. All right. So here's the situation. So let's say as the wife that you want to have him be a strong Christian and obey the gospel. So notice, how can you do that? We'll just tear him down. We'll just constantly say he, you know, He's not this. He's not that. He'll never be this. He'll never be that. He's always been this. He'll always be that. Just constantly tear him down, right? So this is your husband. You are in a holy, you're in a holy institution called marriage. And so 
Notice what Peter says to the wives that are in this situation and to all wives. Likewise, be in subjection to your own husbands. That if any obey not the word talking about the man. That they may without the word be won by the conversation of the wife. So because the wife was a peacemaker in the situation, she can help convert him to the word of God. You see, and I, and I personally know of a situation like this where a young, where, where a woman married someone and they had, you know, six or seven kids. And so then after they married, then he wasn't coming to worship, but because she continued to live the right way, because she continued to teach her children the right, the right way, um, because she continued to treat him the right way, he obeyed the gospel. And now he's preaching the gospel because of her attitude. It's, it works. First Peter chapter three, verse one works. But what if the wife in this situation decided not to be a peacemaker and decided just to tear him down? Would he have been, would he have been more ready to receive the word if she had that attitude? No, but because she was living right, his heart was more willing to receive the word of God. You see, it's all about attitude. And so this can work with anything. This just happens to be in a marital situation here in first Peter chapter three. But imagine someone just absolutely hating you, just hating your guts. And you may know the reason you may perceive a reason. You may think a reason, whatever it is. So let's say, you know, that this person hates you or you have problems. You know, if you continue just like this wife in first Peter chapter three, you continue to treat them well. You continue to show respect as, as Jonathan showed his own father who hated him respect. If you continue to be the person that Jesus called you to be. But what happens is we adjust our peacemaking to the situation. Oh, you don't show me respect. I'm not going to show you respect. Oh, you're mean to me. I'm going to be mean to you. Oh, you're going to disrespect me. I'll di trust me. I'm going to disrespect you too. You see, we can't adjust our peacemaking to the situation. We have to be consistent because Jesus was consistent. And so the wife here in first Peter chapter three is consistent. Jesus was consistent all in the new Testament. Jonathan was consistent all throughout first Samuel. And so what about you? What about me? I don't know your situation, but you might be in one of these homes. You might be in one of these relationships. You might be in one of these marriages. So what do you do? My encouragement to you is you keep making the right decisions. You keep showing respect. You keep doing the right things. And the, and the, here's the crazy thing about it, guys. We can't have a, we can't have a false view of what peacemaking is. And so we can't think that any time that we do the right thing, that someone else is going to do the right thing to us back because we decided to do the right thing. Sometimes that's not going to happen. And so when that doesn't happen, don't let your heart become hard because someone else didn't want peace, but you want it. Don't let your heart become hard. Keep your heart soft.
And so we have to make sure that in any situation, we keep our peace. Because if we let someone else dictate how we treat them or how we would treat others, then we're already caught. We have to be consistent and we have to be peacemakers. Because remember, the ultimate goal, we want them to be won over by the word of God. And so if I want someone to be won over by the word of God, if I want someone to be won over by the beauty of unity, then how was my attitude towards it? Well, I'm just going to be just as difficult as they are. I'm just going to be just as loud as they are. I'm going to be just as you can't. We can't do that. And so we have to continue to be peacemakers in our homes. And with one another. And so if we can do this. I truly believe first Peter chapter three, verse one can work in any situation. This just happens to be an example of marriage. And so here's our second one. Not only can we be peacemakers in our home when things are tough, but we can be peacemakers with all men when things are tough. This kind of goes along with what we were talking about earlier. So look at Matthew chapter five real quick. Matthew chapter five. And remember, we looked at all those all those examples there, <clears throat> but I think it's time to look at a um, an example of what God would do. So in Matthew chapter five, uh, verses forty three through forty eight, uh, I want you to notice what Jesus says here. He said, "You have heard it; it has been said, you should love thy neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, bless them that curse you." Do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, so that you might be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes his sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the publicans do the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans do so? But be ye therefore perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. So in tough situations with all men, with everybody, whether it's brethren or whether it's people without, we can be peaceable with all men. So how do we do that? All right, here's a situation. Someone's, someone's cursing you. Someone's persecuting you. Someone's despitefully using you. Someone hates you. So what is my role when someone does that to me and what is your role when someone does it to you i pray for them by name don't do that and that's the hard part don't just say well them or lord you know who i'm talking about or you know who they are no pray use their name use their name pray for them specifically by name and then what is your actions towards them if they hate you you do good to them and then after that if if they despitefully use you, you go the second mile for them. If they persecute you, you, you help them out. See, it's all about doing what the Lord would do. Well, how do we know that's what the Lord would do? Verse 45, I'm not telling you to do this because it's easy. I'm telling you to do this. Number one, Jesus said, because I have the authority to. Then number two, verse 45 I'm saying that you do this so that you notice, did he ever talk about them in verse 45? 
Jesus said, I'm worried about you. He says, so when, pre when people treat you this way, focus on you. So what's your role? What's my role? So that you can be the children of your father in heaven. So guess what a child of our father in heaven won't do? When someone's persecuted, you'll persecute them back. When someone talks about you, you talk about them back. When, when someone uh, despitefully uses you, you find a way to use them back. Children of God don't do that. Children of God always find ways to make peace. For he makes the sun to rise on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And then he qualifies it in verse 46. So he said, okay, so let's say that there's a world where everybody loves you. So he says, for if you love them that love you, what reward do you have? So why is it so special when you love people that love you? You see, your love becomes special when you do verse 44. Now it's real. Do not even the publicans do the same? So the publicans just love people that love them. And if you only salute your brethren only, what more can you do than others? The publicans do that too. So if you only salute the brethren that love you, publicans do that. So what's the end goal? Why is Jesus telling us to do this? I'm telling you to live out this peacemaking lifestyle so that you can be perfect. Even as your father in heaven is perfect. You see why that consistency in all situations matters? Because Jesus is trying to transform you into being something better. And this is not about showing that you're a bigger man than somebody else, showing that you're more mature than someone else, showing that I could be nice to you even though you're mean to me. It's not about showing that you're better in any way, shape, or form. But you're doing this, number one, because God told you to. Then number two, you're doing it is because you want them to come back to the knowledge of the truth, and we want unity. That's it. That's really it. So it, it still has nothing about it still has nothing to do with you. And so here's another thing too as well, guys, why Matthew chapter five is so important. We can close a big teaching door by our attitudes. Did you know that? So by the way that we peacemake, especially with people outside of the church, we can stop people from wanting to know more about the gospel. So imagine knowing someone that dislikes you and you continue to show them respect, you continue to show them kindness, and you continue to have self-control consistently. Guess what this will do to the people that hate you eventually? It'll raise questions. Why, why, is, he still, why is he still so nice to me? Why is she still so nice to me? I don't, I don't understand. I, I literally hate them. Why are they still, why are they still treating me well? Why are they still going the extra mile for me? Why are they still praying for me? Guess what that opens up? It opens up a door of opportunity to the word. But if we're not peacemakers, we're so worried about ourselves and how everybody else is treating me and, oh, woe is me. And oh, you were so mean and nah, 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 nah. Then we're so focused on us 
then we lose the opportunity to show the word. See, being a peacemaker from Matthew chapter 6, make being a peacemaker about being like God because we want to be perfect like he is. That's what being peace. So take yourself out of it. Take yourself out of it. Because don't you think people were mean to Christ? But what did Christ do? Did Christ go around complaining that they were mean to him? Christ said, how can I help? How can I serve? Because Christ understood people need something. And people need the gospel. And so we as Christians, we got to have the right attitude. And if you come from one of these homes that we talked about before in, in point number one, a broken home and a, a hurting home, uh, a home where the father may not be there as often or the mother may not be there as often, a home where it seems like there's no structure, a home like Jonathan and Saul, what is, what is, so you might be asked, what do I do? Your role is to be a peacemaker. Now, quickly before we end, don't you think that in, in these situations, as tough as it may be, that if you be a peacemaker, that the Lord's going to continue to take care of you, even if the others don't respond well, he will. And the life of Joseph proves that <clears throat> his own brothers hated him, called him names, called him a dreamer, threw him in the pit, sold him into slavery. I mean, people... We kind of just read over that. Do you understand how traumatic that probably would have been to a 17-year-old boy to be hated by his brothers and then to be sold into slavery? That's that's pretty traumatic. And then after all this happens, Joseph, in every situation he finds himself in, he continues to be a peacemaker, even though he was used, even though he was accused, and even though he was forgotten about. He continued to be a peacemaker. And so now <clears throat> when he's second in command in Egypt and his brothers come in wanting food because there's no food and Joseph is second in command and he stored all this food up. Now they need him. What was Joseph's attitude? Oh, look at y'all crawling back. Oh, y'all need me now. It took y'all long enough to realize y'all did me wrong. Took y'all long enough. I don't understand. I don't understand why y'all did that in the first place, but you know what? What I'll do, I'll make you work for it. So, you know, you got to work for my forgiveness back. You know what you got to do? I'll make y'all slaves. And just as long as I was in jail, I'll put y'all in jail because I want y'all to feel what I felt. Joseph could have done that, couldn't he? But Joseph, when he saw his brothers, Joseph broke down. He cried. And in Genesis, he said, y'all meant this for evil. But God meant it to good. You know, Joseph couldn't have said that if he wasn't a peacemaker. We're called to be peacemakers. And I'm not saying when you when you're a peacemaker, every situation is going to work out your way. It's not. Trust me, it's not. But you don't stop being a peacemaker. And no matter what, Christ is always going to take care of you because you did what he said. You did what he said. And if you pray. And we all know prayer is powerful. Prayer can change the hearts of, of men. I've seen it and I believe it. Prayer can change the hearts of men. But it comes with consistency from you. It comes from prayers from you. 
and it comes from you having the right attitude and it comes from you living right. So focus, focus all this peacemaking on you rather than everybody else. Man, isn't that crazy? Isn't that a wonderful study? That's a, that's a short verse there, but being a peacemaker, there's so much we can do better. And I know I can do better too. And as we continue to study and grow, I hope you guys are, you know, I hope this is growing your faith and challenging you because that's what the word is here for. It's here to challenge us. It's here to make us better. And it's here to make us perfect. So I hope that we all can continue to grow and develop together. Uh, again, I just, I love you guys very much. I, I'm just so grateful that we got 10,000 downloads um, as a as a as a podcast, uh, we're just so grateful that we can share this together and learn and study and grow. And I'm so grateful that uh, you guys found us, and uh, you know we're a family here. So I, I'm just appreciative of you guys, and um, hopefully we continue to learn and study and grow and develop more and more each day. Thanks, guys.